Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm responsible, mature, and level-headed story expert, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm funky party weasel film scholar, Noelle LaCroix. And we're here today to talk about Surprise and Innocence, the 13th and 14th episodes of season two. Surprise aired on January 19th, 1998, was written by Marty Noxon and directed by Michael Lang. Innocence aired on January 20th, 1998, and was written and directed by Joss Whedon. That's right. Innocence aired just one day after Surprise and marked the show's move from Monday to Tuesday night. A warning before we begin, every episode of Still Pretty talks about each episode within the greater context of all of Buffy and as such is fully spoiled. So hang on to your souls. We're going on patrol. In surprise and innocence, Buffy has a dream about Drusilla killing Angel and rushes to check on Angel. He's fine and tells her that not all her dreams are prophetic, and they end up making out and talking about having sex. Sort of. You still haven't told me what you wanted for your birthday. Surprise me. The Scoobies are planning a surprise party for Buffy's birthday, and Willow asks Oz to be her date. At the warehouse, Spike is sporting burns and sitting in a wheelchair as a fully restored and extra, extra Drusilla plan a party of their own with a very special party favor in a wooden box. It'll be the best party ever. Why is it that? Because it will be the last. At school, Jenny gets a visit from her creepy, weird uncle who wants to know what's going on with Angel's curse. Turns out, Jenny is a descendant of the Romani who put the curse on Angel and was sent to spy on Angel. He reminds her that she isn't Jenny Calendar, she's Yana, and her people demand vengeance. The girl and him, it ends now. Do what you must to take her from him. I will see to it. Jenny finds Buffy and says Giles asked her to bring Buffy to meet him. While they're in the car, they come upon vampires stealing a box. Buffy fights them and crashes through a window into her surprise party at the bronze, dusting two of the vampires while the other gets away. Buffy is touched that they threw her a surprise party, and Oz has his initiation into the life of a Scooby. Hey, did everybody see that guy just turn to dust? They look into the box the vamps were stealing, and in it is an arm that immediately tries to strangle Buffy. Angel recognizes it as the arm of the Judge, a being that exists to destroy humanity and couldn't be killed, so they hacked him into pieces and sent them to remote corners of the world. Once all the pieces of his body are assembled, he'll destroy everything. So Angel has to take the piece and bring it to a remote place, which will take him months to do because he can't fly, and it's not like you can UPS that kind of shit. There's no other choice. When? Tonight, as soon as possible. When is my birthday? At the docks, Angel is just about to tell Buffy he loves her when they're attacked by vampires and they lose the judge's arm. The Scoobies get to researching ways to kill the judge as Drusilla's party starts and they assemble him. He gathers his strength by burning the accountant vampire. Buffy and Angel go to the warehouse to find out what's going on, but the judge spots them, and they're captured. Leave her alone. Yeah, that'll work. Now say pretty, please. They manage to escape and rush back to Angel's place, where the near-death experience combined with their star-crossed love becomes too much to resist. They confess their love for each other and have sex. Later, while Buffy sleeps, Angel wakes up in a panic. 
he rushes outside into the thunderstorm and loses his soul. Outside in the alley, he comes upon a woman who asks if he's okay, and he says the pain is gone. He gets up, vamps out, and bites her. Buffy wakes up alone and has no idea what happened to him. She reports in at school and tells everyone what happened, hoping Angel has checked in, but he hasn't. At the warehouse, Angel pays a visit to Spike and Drew, but when the judge tries to burn him, he can't. This one cannot be burned. He's clean. Clean? You mean he's... There's no humanity in him. Angel. Yeah, baby. I'm back. At the warehouse, Spike and Drew want to celebrate the return of Angelus, but he asks for a little time to mess with Buffy first. She made him feel human, and he can't forgive her for that. At the school, everyone's in research mode, except Xander and Cordelia, who make out in the stacks. Willow catches them and runs off, and Xander goes after her. Willow, we're just kissing. It doesn't mean that much. No, it just means that you'd rather be with someone you hate than be with me. Buffy searches everywhere for Angel and finds him at his apartment, where he callously dismisses what happened between them and then takes off again while she cries. Meanwhile, Jenny meets with her uncle, and he fills her in on the fine print of Angel's curse. If he has one moment of true happiness, then he loses his soul and becomes Angelus again. Buffy loves him. And now she will have to kill him. Unless he kills her first. Uncle, this is insanity! People are going to die. Yes. It is not justice we serve. It is vengeance. Jenny rushes to the school, but not before Angelus grabs Willow. Buffy shows up and confronts him, and he runs off, choosing to extend her torment rather than fight. Everyone gathers in the library, and when Giles asks what happened the night before to trigger Angel's turn, Buffy runs out crying. Xander comes up with a plan to steal a rocket launcher to deal with the judge, while Angelus, Drusilla, and Spike argue over how to best torment Buffy. Force won't get it done. You gotta work from the inside. Kill this girl. You have to love her. Buffy goes home and falls to her bed, weeping. She has a dream where Angel tells her she has to know what to see, and she looks at Jenny. She wakes up and confronts Jenny, who confesses all to Buffy and Giles. Buffy wants Jenny to curse him again, but Jenny can't, so they go to see her uncle. But when they get there, Angelus has already killed him and left a message for Buffy on the wall written in his blood. He's trying to make it harder for you. He's only making it easier. I know what I have to do. What? Kill him. Xander delivers the rocket launcher to Buffy, and when Jenny offers to help, both Buffy and Giles tell her to leave. When they go to the warehouse to find it empty, Oz suggests that the best place to find a lot of people in Sunnydale is the mall. The judge, Angelus, and Drew are there, burning the humanity out of people. When Buffy and the gang show up, ready to rock. You're a fool. No weapon forged can stop me. That was then. This is now. Buffy uses the rocket launcher to take out the judge and chaos ensues. Drew and Angelus run off and Buffy goes after Angelus. They fight and she draws her stake. You can't do it. You can't kill me. Give me time.
All right. So, Noelle, I think maybe we can start with just a little bit of something that's not in our notes, but it's clearly obvious. This is the stupidest curse ever, right? (laughs) I mean, it's really dumb. No, it makes zero sense. It makes no sense at all. Let's, you know, give the guy a soul and make sure he's tormented. But then if he has any happiness, let's take that soul away so he can kill people again. Like, it's a dumb curse. What? Why? Why? I mean, other than there's no story. Because they serve vengeance? I don't know. I don't... They serve vengeance, which I... All right. I mean, (laughs) I got nothing. I have nothing. It's... I don't think the writers knew the ins and outs of Angel's Curse. Hey-oh! I don't... I don't think they knew when they wrote Angel initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is what I'm asking like why no, I mean from a narrative point of view it's actually really great because it maximizes his torment and Buffy's torment in that moment but from the point of view of the people cursing him you know give this guy a yeah. soul let him you know live in torment for that um, but the idea that there is a you know a loophole through which he loses his soul again and then ends up killing people like I don't know it just is it's just a little weird but I guess I guess you know when it's the 18th century and all you got is one book of curses and you got to do something fast you got one Orbethesla you got to make that shit count I mean I guess <laughs> In the moment, you know, but just like from the perspective of the people cursing him, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but actually, narratively, it is pretty much perfect. And if I was on the writing staff, I would probably make the same choice because it is really good. Well, and emotionally, it makes great sense, too. Yes. If yes. having a soul makes him feel shame for what yeah. he's done, then a moment of of true happiness pure happiness you can't be in both joy and shame at the same time Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. in not in like the ultimate expression of joy right he cannot feel that shame in a moment of true happiness so maybe the loophole is not so much within the curse like the curse Mm -hmm. doesn't understand the the complexity of emotional right. experience. Sure. <laughs> I mean, and that's kind of great because then it does it does mean that this moment of happiness is specific to that moment in time with Buffy. It's not that he can't experience an orgasm. Right. Or he'll right. Lose Which his is soul. something we're going to spend a lot of time on that joke between Buffy and Angel and you know whatever. But yeah, I mean it's not about sex. It's about sex with Buffy. Yeah, and about the emotional resonance of that mm-hmm. connection at that time with everything that has happened leading up to that point. Mm-hmm. It's yes. not mm-hmm. so sex with Buffy under different circumstances might not have done it. I mean, sure. depending on how much you buy into their love as a true love. And I mean, right. I've mentioned on the podcast before that I don't typically go for romance. Yes. Um, which mm-hmm. is to say, I don't typically go for romance in fiction, because mm-hmm. if you are my friend and you tell me that you met the person who is your person and you're so <laughs> in love, I will say, get in there and get some of that. Right. You, I will get I will get ordained so you two can be legally <laughs> wed together forever. If that's what your heart's desire, I am here for real life love. Mm-hmm. But for me, narrative has to work really hard to get me on board yes. with a love story. And mm-hmm. 
I say all of that mostly so that we're clear that it's not a reflection of you or your love for Buffy and Angel and their romance when I say I do not care about Buffy and Angel (laughs) as a couple. Like, I don't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't care. And the lighting and the narrative beats and the music. Oh, dear God, the music. (laughs) All tell me that I should be way invested in this romance. I should be way invested in this love story. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, meh. I mean, it feels like a Romeo and Juliet type situation. Like, it's Mm -hmm. infatuation and that's cool, but the whole mise-en-scene of the show is like, this is the relationship. You must ship it. And I just don't. It okay. feels like we went from mm-hmm. really goofy with Buffy, you know, leaning out of her bedroom window to make out with Angel so she doesn't have to break curfew mm-hmm. to this weighty, like, melancholy of a relationship overnight and i'm just like where did this come from right where what where did this come Mm -hmm. from yeah i don't know i mean i don't know we're suddenly in this it it feels like with surprise we're suddenly in this overwrought but very adult territory with buffy Mm -hmm. and angel you know not wanting to keep their hands to themselves when she's supposed to be going to school Mm -hmm. and i just don't I don't know. I think it's interesting and kind of problematic that we have to couch Buffy's desire for sex in what turns out to be a really patriarchal framework. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it's not a desire for sex. It's a desire to be that close with Angel. And it's, it is placing sex in this, you know, highly romanticized context, you know, which is it's okay to have sex if you're really in love. But you can't have sexual feelings outside of that. You can't just want to bang. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and she says there's a moment where she's talking to Willow in that. I love that conversation with Willow. But she says um, at some point it becomes kind of inevitable. Right. And I just, yeah, she says once you get to a certain point, seizing is sort of inevitable. And, of course, they're talking about sex as seizing the day, which Mm -hmm. I think is very, very adorable. But <laughs> I have to say, I think that's kind of a dangerous line of thinking mm-hmm. um, that at some point in a relationship, sex must happen, mm-hmm. um, especially, you know, for all of our demisexual and asexual listeners. I mean, I see you. You're valid. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, this is this is not there is nothing about a sexual relationship that is the greatest and best and most important relationship. And there's nothing about a deep connection with someone that necessitates sex. Mm-hmm. I understand right. what Buffy is getting at here, but I just, I felt like, Ooh, that's kind of, that's kind of a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. And I'm so sorry for all of the intention, like the, all of the unintentional. It's going to mm-hmm. like, I feel like when we talk about sex, because as a society, we're so weird about sex. Oh, we Anything are. I say that's even kind of like erotic adjacent on this episode is going to sound like I'm being innuendo-y. And yeah, well, I no, everything is innuendo. Everything <laughs> it's is all innuendo. innuendo. Once you start talking about sex, you see it everywhere. <laughs> oh, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. So... Yeah, so, I mean, now that I've now that I've just like shat upon the entire Buffy Angel <laughs> relationship, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't like 
there's there's something so patriarchal about the way the show frames this desire because I think I mean she is talking specifically about Angel and she's talking Mm -hmm. about you know taking their relationship to this more physical space Mm -hmm. but I I don't know I just there is definitely a desire aspect there which Mm -hmm. is great because she makes this decision to have sex with him before the entire plot goes down ayo Sorry. Um, I'm so sorry. I can't. I get like no, I two get more of those and then I have to yeah. cut myself up. No, I get it. I mean, I went on a little slippery slope thing. So, yeah, no. I'm, I'm yeah. <laughs> but the show, I mean, the show works so hard to show mm-hmm. that she's innocent. Yes. You know, a.k.a. this is her sexual debut. Right. Mm-hmm. They're practically married by the time they actually get to the having sex part of the mm-hmm. planned sex. I mean, he gives her a ring and he's like, yeah. wear this ring like this because you belong to someone. And then he like <laughs> holds up his hand and he's wearing it with a heart facing it. And I throw up in my mouth a little bit because, oh, <laughs> my dear God, I just can't. I can't with the yeah. clotter mm-hmm. ring. I can't. <laughs> a little too much for you there. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Now, and this is coming from someone who, uh, in the late 90s, I believe, had a collection of clotter rings. I believe they were in vogue for a while, probably yeah. because of the show. Probably because so, of the show. It was about that yeah. time, yeah. It's interesting to me that they have sex in surprise, but we don't really yes. see anything beyond, you know, thunderclaps and right. fade mm-hmm. to white, which is yeah. an interesting choice. <laughs> um, but in Innocence, when we see Buffy's sex dream, such as it is, it's a lot of moaning and a lot of clattering. Right. And mm-hmm. it's so very, like, I don't know. There's this very, like, marriage-y kind of vibe to it Right. For me. They've committed to each other. They're, they're madly in love. Like, these are the circumstances in which it's okay for a woman to want sex. Yes. Right? Men can mm-hmm. want sex when they look at linoleum, as we have Xander yes! say a little bit later, right? <laughs> but for a woman God. to want sex, first of all, she has to be a virgin, right um then she has to be madly in love he has Mm -hmm. to give her a ring first right you know um and and talk about eternal love i mean he's eternal so she even gets that right yeah um you know which i think is is definitely like there's definitely that there that we get this sort of um cleansing of the space to make this okay for buffy to have sex you know right um, which is, you know, a very patriarchal and a very highly over romanticized um, kind of situation. Um, I think I think honestly, everybody should learn how to have sex from faith first, learn how to do it right, <laughs> let her rock their world, and then you can go off and fall in love. Um, but <laughs> well, at least they get really, really wet first. That's the one thing they, <laughs> they do really, right. Really wet first. They get really, really wet before they have sex, and that is, I'm like, good, right. good, excellent. Just, very, oh very my God. important. So much um, getting wet. There is a lot of getting wet in this episode. Um, but we're going to have to put like a warning on this episode anyway. But I know. Anyway, um, this is... I honestly, I, I, I get what you say about, now I, of course, am the opposite. Like I, I ship everything. If you have two people with the slightest bit of chemistry, I ship it. <laughs> I want I love that, that romance. I, I love, love romance stories. You. I always have. And I think that that's great. Um, Buffy and Angel 
were never really my favorite romance. Like everything they've done up until now, I think uh, was I was like, okay, I'm in, fine. You know, he's a vampire, she's a vampire slayer, yada yada yada, whatever. You know, they're together and it's fine. Um, but this point in the relationship, when this happens, this is the best part of the Buffy and Angel relationship for me. Um, because one of the roles of fiction is replicating human experience, giving you a space where you can kind of have these experiences, you know, but they're in a safe fictional space, you know. Um, and it helps us deal with our own experiences in that safe kind of external area, you know. Um, and good romantic conflict is about why people can't be together. Now, they have a romantic conflict. He's a vampire. She's a vampire slayer but he's a vampire with a soul, which means he's good. So there really isn't any real romantic conflict at this point. I mean, there is the sense of what kind of future would they ever have together? He's going to live forever. She is, of course, going to age and die, or she might just die and not age at all because she is the slayer. So, um, so I mean, that is more of a, of a conflict, but that's going to be a conflict with anybody she dates because she is the slayer. There's always going right. to be that element of romantic conflict. But once they're together, you know, it's fine. They're in love and everything's great. Um, but people, like, we love that romantic conflict of why can't they be together? Because it creates that sense of longing for the thing that you can't have, which is something that we experience in many different, you know, contexts. Romance just being one of them, you know, throughout our lives. And often we have that sense of longing and we never get the thing that we want. But in a romance, you build up that sense of longing. You have these people who can't be together and then you find a way past it and they're together and you get that sense of, you know, getting what you want which is really addictive people want that you know and it's fun and I like it and I'm not gonna lie about it when Mulder and Scully slept together I felt real good about that so I'm just saying like I ship it I want it and when they get together I am happy all right um but Buffy and Angel specifically though I think are at their best when they're separated because that is the best part of their relationship it's otherwise a little bit boring he's really good and broody she's got to kill vampires you know whatever it's fine like but there's no other real romantic conflict there for them and there's nothing between them that makes you just think oh my god these two absolutely have to get together you know yeah. um, it really is the core of that relationship is that that conflict that you know he's the star-crossed element he's a vampire she's a vampire slayer yada yada um but that longing you know speaks to this like universal experience and you know for me i like this part of their relationship from this part until the end of season two is like my favorite part of their whole relationship that is when I'm just dying inside you know um mm -hmm. and what isn't a universal experience thank god is watching the person you love most in the world become a monster before your eyes uh but some people have had that experience so there's also that level of working out your trauma in fiction yeah. for, well, for some people right well and I think that you know, I'm going to use gendered language here, but mm -hmm. this yeah. applies across genders and sexual orientations. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's a fear for a lot of women yeah, that no. you mm -hmm. sleep with a man, you know, he's like so nice and kind and, oh, you just, you know, oh, he's just so wonderful. And then you have sex with him and then he's a monster. He's a completely right. he different person. Wants. Right. Yeah. He gets what he yeah. wants. And then he's completely different from the person that you thought you knew, you know, yeah. which is actually a fairly common experience. And it's one of these things that like this was supposed to be a metaphor for that experience, specifically in high school, um, mm -hmm. when boys are desperate, you know, and they really like, you know, or this is culturally like the experience and a lot of women do have this experience um and again gendered language but still um where you know as soon as and this is the also the the cultural warning that we have like don't give it up 
because as yes. soon as you do, he's going to mm-hmm. be an asshole. And like, if he's going to be an asshole after I give it up, then he's going to be an asshole anyway. And if there's good sex involved, then at least I come away with something, right? <laughs> um, so, I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, with protection, yeah. you don't want to get pregnant, but like, not by that guy. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting because it does play into that, um, into like those experiences, which I think are, it's, it's good to live that out and experience that through your fiction and kind of work that out. And it's also really good to see her kick him in the balls at the end. That is oh, yes. nice. That is a nice Oh, yeah. Moment. Give me time. <laughs> Give oh! me time. I freaking love that. I know we're it's skipping good. all the way to the end, but gee, I mean. No, that's okay. Well, we'll be so all good. over the place in here. Oh, yeah, for um, sure. For but sure. one of the things I, I found interesting, though, is that we do have this, you know, surprise and innocence, right? And innocence culturally has the connotation of, of sexual innocence, that mm-hmm. you're innocent when you're a virgin, and then you are no longer innocent once you've had sex, that somehow it opens up all of the world's mysteries to you. That, by the way, not true. Um, <laughs> you can be just as confused and clueless after sex as you can before, uh, sometimes even more clueless. Sometimes, I was going to say, even more so. <laughs> Exactly. That can certainly happen. Uh, But the loss of innocence in these episodes really isn't about having sex. It's about finally seeing reality for what it is, you know, and we have this moment at the end where Joyce says, well, what did you do for your birthday? And she says, I got older, you know, so it's about the experience of understanding something that you didn't understand before, knowing things that you didn't know before. I mean, we have Willow's loss of innocence when she sees Xander with Cordelia. You know, and she has that moment where where everything falls away for her and she sees him and Cordelia for what's really going on there, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, the Buffy Angel theme, too, which is like, honestly, that music, every time I hear it freaking kills me because, of course, the end of season two with Becoming, where when we talk about it, I will be a puddle mess of (laughs) weep, you know, Um, but the name of that that theme is called Close Your Eyes, right? which is about willfully choosing to not see what's right in front of you because it's too painful to see. So, um, so I find all of that kind of really interesting because even though we are directly, you know, addressing the first sexual experience and that, and that particular loss of innocence, I think that's the least interesting interpretation of innocence with regard to these episodes. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Um, And we have, the loss of innocence in the, you know, in the Xander Willow relationship, we mm-hmm, have it mm-hmm. in the Giles and Jenny Giles relationship, and Jenny, right? When she that, when she tells him what she is, and he sees what she really is. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's just it's wonderful. I love all of the relationships that are sort of ebbing and flowing and fracturing as yeah. things come to light. Um, mm-hmm. Because, of course, you know, of course, there's the Buffy Angel relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. But we also have a fracture in the Spike Drusilla relationship when oh, yeah. Angelus comes back, which I think mm-hmm. is so fascinating. You know, right. Spike... And Spike loses his innocence there. Yeah. You know, which is funny when you think about Spike having any innocence at all. But this idea that he and Drusilla you know, he has this idea of their love. And when she was sick, we've got this reversal with Spike and Drusilla. When she was sick, he was taking care of her. He was working so hard to heal her and to make her whole again. He's half burned. He's in a wheelchair and she's just like, oh, but Angelus is back. I'm gonna go play with him. Yeah. 
Yeah, she's licking his burned face and yeah. dancing around with Angelus. And it's so... And we see Spike. It's a it's a moment that doesn't get a lot of attention in the episode itself. Mm-hmm. But in Innocence, when the Scoobies all come to the warehouse and it's empty, Spike is there because, of course, he can't go. All yeah. of the vamps have gone and he is stuck because yeah. he's in his chair and he is so like James Marsters you see the the resentment on his oh, face yeah. like mm-hmm. he is he is so angry yeah that he's left out that he's having to hide in the shadows because of mm-hmm. course if they were to find him well how's he going to fight right he can't right. fight yeah. he's completely mm-hmm. outnumbered mm-hmm. it's a wonderful moment for spike it really is. And it doesn't have like a narrative weight. It's not like because he overhears them, he goes out and warns Drew and Angelus. Right. He doesn't. You know, but, the, but right. So like the weight isn't in the story. Like not, there's no story consequence for him overhearing that. But when you see his resentment and his anger and he's hiding, you know, in this space unknown you know, and mm-hmm. so there's a loss of innocence for him as well, which I think is really interesting in this episode. Awesome. Where do we want to move? I mean, there's so much. No, there's like there's so much to talk about in this episode. And there's I mean, Bad Angel is the best angel. Yes. Like I'm just mm-hmm. just and shout out to David Boreanaz's acting chops. Oh, I yeah. mean, dude, like he's been broody. He's mm-hmm. been handsome. Okay, that's fine. Um, Mm -hmm. But he is truly dreadful as Angelus. And I just, I mean, he's so much fun. It is so much fun watching him chew the scenery and be so Mm -hmm. delighted with his own evilness. I mean, like, get this dude a mustache so he can twirl it. He is such a wonderful villain. He's so great. And I get, I don't know about you, but I get serious Richard III vibes from Mm -hmm. Angelus, the villain who loves being a villain, who just delights in being a villain and is essentially saying to the audience, okay, okay, but watch this. Watch what I'm going to do Well, see, it's that love story between a person and their job, you know, and their vocation, (laughs) like what they do. When somebody's (laughs) really good at something, they delight in it. And that's fun to watch even if the thing that they delight in is a really terrible thing and David Boreanaz I mean he was doing the whole like and the broody thing is just all you have to do for that is just be quiet and look sullen you know and that's not that hard so through this whole thing like we haven't really seen what he can do and I will tell you you know right now like he's good here he only gets better as we move through the series as he goes over into Angel like he gets better with everything but I love seeing him play that kind of evil delight um it is so it's so much fun to watch him do that it's so much fun to watch him be you know go from being the good guy you know have this have this heel turn you know Mm -hmm. into into such incredible evil you know um so yeah it's it's really fun to watch him do that and from the way i'm just from the introduction the way Angelus is introduced. I mean, he mm-hmm. starts, we see him, you know, he's falling to the, the ground in the alley. And I love the yeah. way he says, oh, no. Like, he know, like he feels yeah. it happening. Yeah. And then when he's Angelus again, the way he just 
hops up to his feet. He just kind of springs up almost like an animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he exhales that cigarette smoke that he has somehow inhaled from the woman's neck. I feel just fine. Oh my I god. Know. Like it's and so... I mean the thing is like, you know, like physically Yeah, oh not like possible. that's that's obviously not even but it is the coolest moment. It is such a good moment when he exhales that smoke and you're like, okay, this is a new game you know we're in a new place here it is so fantastic and I absolutely love that and it's such a turn because like you know when you're watching this and you don't know what happens you know you're watching him you're like what the hell happened to Angel you know and then all of a sudden he's evil and he doesn't have his oh my god it is so great it's so good and I love the relationship between Angelus and Drusilla Oh, yes. I know. That is wonderful. When he comes back and she oh, is God. so happy, you know, we're together she again. is delighted. She mm-hmm. loves it. And when she has his number so thoroughly and she says, you want to do to her what you did to me, and she oh, yeah. giggles about it, it's yeah. so perfect. I love, I, well, I love Drusilla. I mean, well, full stop, fantastic. I love Drusilla. Yeah. But the Drusilla, the Drusilla and Jealous connection, and then the just the Drusilla sort of parallelism with Buffy. Yeah. That we get mm-hmm. in these episodes is fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, which starts really in, in Buffy's dream mm-hmm. in Surprise, the very beginning of Surprise, and we see Drusilla in Buffy's house. Mm-hmm. And it's so scary and oddly jarring. Right. Mm-hmm. And something about, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but for some reason in that moment, Juliet Landau looks much younger to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, suddenly, I don't know if it's the if it's the set, if it's what it is, but I see the young woman behind the like scary vampire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. External. And it's there's something just so chilling about that. And for me, I started to think, OK, wait a minute. There is a connection between Drusilla and Buffy. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Drusilla says to Buffy, hands off my presence. Well, mm-hmm. it's a, that's a homophone with presence, like one's mm, right. mm-hmm. presence. So yes. Buffy, Buffy knows the truth about what Angel did to Drusilla. Mm-hmm. So something about that, something about that action is present mm-hmm. In him, that he is always going to be linked to Drusilla for Buffy in this way is a Mm -hmm. fascinating idea to me. Um, And just the idea that Angel belongs to Drusilla. I mean, Angel destroyed Drusilla, but he also belongs to her. And that is such a fascinating connection. Right. Um, Well, we just had that possessive claiming with the Clotter Ring with Buffy. Right. You know, yeah. So... And I mean, and Drusilla tells Spike, my angel is too Mm -hmm. smart to fight the judge again, Mm -hmm. which I went, what? Because she doesn't know him as angel. We went through this with Darla, too. Right. Mm -hmm. She doesn't know him as angel. So I don't know. I mean, maybe and maybe this is just an example of they didn't know all of the details of all of the backstory when mm-hmm. they were writing this um yeah. but there's definitely a a sort of you know drusilla as the dark buffy 
Um, yeah. If that white dress that Buffy wears in the second nightmare isn't Drusilla's mm-hmm. from earlier in the season, I will eat my hat. I think it, it is well the be. same dress. We'll have to we'll have to look it up and see, but it may well be because it is a very Drusilla dress. It's got that empire waist, you know, it's long and flowy all the way down to the floor. Um, and it's not a Buffy style dress, but it's a Drusilla dress. But it also presents Buffy in white, right, which mm-hmm. is this the color we put on women to signify that they are a virgin. You know, so every white dress in every wedding is all about displaying, you know, your your sexual purity. Um, so from a patriarchy perspective, that's kind of bullshit. But <laughs> uh, but it is really it is really interesting, like how we have her kind of being, you know, the the opposite reflection of Drusilla, but it was the connection with Angel. Angel is the thing that destroyed Drusilla, mm-hmm. that that made her into what she is. I mean, she had the sight before, you know, so right. she had the, the, the visions and everything, but he made her into a vampire. He made her, he traumatized her so that she changed the way that she sees everything changes, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's really interesting to see that he is also going to be the source. I mean, the way we're drawing this parallel, the source of Buffy's destruction. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we see, we even get some, um, directorial connection mm-hmm. between Buffy and Drusilla when Drusilla collapses on the floor when she starts she has a vision or she has some connection to Angel because she understands that something has happened to him mm-hmm. when he loses his soul she collapses to the floor in what looks like pain but the the close up that we get of her is her smiling and then we cut right. to Buffy asleep and she's on her side in Angel's bed in a similar position. Right. And the sheets are red. I thought you'd pull that out. Oh, yeah. They totally had sex because the sheets are red. See, totally. I, f- I figured it out. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no color. There's no color in Angel's apartment. But there is right. the, like the red velvet. But the sheets are red. That, Absolutely. Yeah. That so nicely coordinate with all of the red that Drusilla wears now that she's strong yes. Drusilla. Strong yes. Drusilla is my favorite Drusilla. She's just yes. amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the flowers are all wrong. <laughs> she just, <laughs> she's so, she's, she is so intense and it's so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the way she threatens their, their vamp, their glasses wearing vampire buddy. I know. God. She's going to poke his eyes out. And then she's so like, oh, she just, just. Another another villain just delighting in the evil of all of it. Oh, absolutely. Make I mean, a it's, wish. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's who she is. But it's also really interesting, though, because like in her, I think when she falls to the floor, she is feeling what Angel is feeling. I mean, she is like, you know, whining and crying. And then she turns around, realizes what it means. But it's it's interesting because she, you know, she's a vampire. She has no empathy. You know, but with the visions, she does experience whatever the person she's having the vision about is experiencing. You know, she does have that. So it's it's really interesting how she can both have empathy, you know, have like literally another person's experience and yet not have any empathy at all when they're talking, when Angel is talking about doing to Buffy, you know, tormenting Buffy the way that he tormented Drusilla. For her, that's a delight you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I thought that that was kind of neat too, because we do have her with the ability to feel 
you know, to like to have feelings, uh, other people's feelings to experience them directly, not through any kind of, you know, moral empathy, but through an actual experience, an actual empathetic experience. Which is just so fascinating. It's there's so many there are so many layers to all of these characters. I mean, Mm -hmm. we could we could go and we could, you know, we could unpack each and every character. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for hours and hours and hours and hours but uh i don't i don't think we're gonna do that no we, no i don't think there's so any time we do. can unpack the judge though oh my god we can unpack the judge a little bit um so the judge played by uh brian thompson brian who thompson. was luke in the in the first uh episode so we brought him back covered him in blue gave him a few horns and nobody knows nobody can tell it's fine um yeah. <laughs> it's the same guy it's the same guy we just liked him so we brought him back um also he's huge so that definitely helps um but the judge <laughs> The judge as a concept, this idea that we we can't, no weapon forged, blah, blah, blah. And so they, they whoever they took an army to take him down, they had to, you know, cut off all his body parts. The people who survived then flung those body parts to the far ends of the earth. But Drusilla from Sunnydale manages to get some kind of, I don't know, dark road Amazon to like ship right. them all to. <laughs> what? <laughs> It's fine. I got it's it on fine. eBay. This is why <laughs> eBay is evil. Because <laughs> eBay is how you assemble all the parts of the judge. Without eBay, you can't do it. But Perfect. Um, <laughs> she was able to get on eBay and, and get all these shipped to her. Um, and so we have this, you know, this moment of assembly, you know, and he comes out and he's all big and he's like, you know, I need to burn the humanity out of somebody. And then, of course, picks the guy who he reads, you know. <laughs> I loved that. I love that I there's know. humanity in him because he reads. He it's, reads. And he was so, so afraid of Drusilla. Like, you could feel his fear. There's nothing about this guy that reads as vampire. Like, I don't know if something happened where he, like, you know, you have to, they have to drink your blood, then you have to drink their blood, and this whole thing. Like, if he just got, like, a, a taste, like, if blood just spattered accidentally from the vampire into his <laughs> mouth, and that's how he was sired. So he wasn't in touch, because he is more human. You know, he's he's working really hard. He's into, you know, the numbers. He's, like, their accountant guy. He's putting all the stuff together. He's smart. Spike he speaks says Latin. He's the only one with half a brain he speaks latin he likes to read you know like there's all these things about when when drusilla is threatening him he doesn't you know he doesn't do the vampire thing of like fighting back and being evil like he's just sitting there shaking in his boots as a vampire you know um so i think he's really interesting and then the judge you know finds enough humanity in him to burn him out but like the the vampire that is is more human or is is closer on the human scale you know closer to human than vampire um is really kind of an interesting thing and he's also the most interesting of the vampires because he does have that personality yeah i mean aside from spike and drusilla but like you know because he's got that personality he's got these these elements to him that are that are cool well and we hear that spike and drusilla have humanity in them too because they have affection and jealousy yes Mm -hmm. i loved that so much that there's something measurable in them mm-hmm. i mean at least by the judge because he right. questions them about it and then spike essentially tells him to fuck off like yeah we assembled you you know like how dare you but it's... in the wheelchair is like just remember i brought you here and i'm like do you think the judge is the kind of guy to be like grateful yeah <laughs> does that yeah. seem like the thing to you because i'm not sure about that but i love how the judge really is brawn and not brains i mean when they're going yes. off to mm-hmm. zap everybody at the mall yeah and the angel tells him he looks spiffy. 
<laughs> and he just goes, he just goes, Spurfy, this great voice. Like, I'm like, he's just like a big, he's a big brute, but he's so, um, I don't know. There's something, there's something wonderful about him. And I'm kind of sad that we just get this little bit of the judge. I would have yeah, liked, I, I would have liked more judge. Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't I didn't care for the judge that much. I felt like it was kind of a fl- like honestly out of all of this, this is the least interesting thing. And I realize we've got this, you know, this wonderful tormenting turn of the the person you love turning to evil, you know, and all of that stuff. So of course, whoever the monster is in this episode is not going to be that, you know, we're not going to be that interested. Right. Um but uh, but I find him um I don't know, like I find him kind of flat. Like, I, you know, it's, it's, I think, conceptually an interesting idea, this idea of the, you know, you take all the parts and pieces and you fling them to the far corners of the earth because you can't destroy them because you didn't have, I don't know, fire back then, or maybe he can't burn up. But, um, but Buffy, you know, of course, manages to kill him with a rocket launcher. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that was then, this is now. Right. The, The weapon has been forged. Yeah. She, well, the first thing she does is drop a TV, a collection of TV sets on him. All Which right, yes. Fascinating. The connection between Spike and Drusilla and television is mm-hmm. something that I would love to just do a deep dive into because there's something about, I mean, talk about humanity, the vampires who yeah. watch television, the vampires yeah. who are connected to that, like, entertainment well to entertainment well they are an entertainment i mean they are both incredibly performative you know they are always playing to an audience spike and drusilla are always playing to an audience no matter what that's you know drusilla's dancing and flowing and ripping at the flowers and everything she does is incredibly performative i mean she is dialed to 11 all the time and spike is also highly performative the way oh, yeah. that he speaks the way that he speechifies whenever he talks you know <laughs> um they are incredibly performative so the idea that they would be connected to television to this this entertainment box you know i think makes complete sense it's it's so good. It's so mm-hmm. good. I I love I love Spike and Drusilla, and then Spike and Drusilla are fantastic. And then Angelus shows yeah. up, and I love. Oh God, when Spike insults him about being the Slayer's <laughs> lapdog, and he yeah. snarls and lunges for Spike, and then kisses him on the forehead. I love that. I may have cheered. That moment is yes. so great. And then Spike just cracks up. He just, he's so delighted by this turn. It's, I mean, it's beyond, it's beyond. Yeah, for a minute until Drusilla decides that she would rather spend her time with Angelus than with with Spike. That's when it gets interesting for Spike. Well, I mean, speaking of people who would rather spend time with someone, not their, not, not the, their devoted Love. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 this is the worst transition ever, but I want to talk about Xander and Cordelia and Willow. Let's talk about Xander and Cordelia and Willow. <laughs> and then Willow and Oz, because, oh, my God. But first, we have oh to do, God. we have to have our vegetables before we can okay. have our dessert. All right. All um, right. God, Xander and Cordelia and Willow. Oh, God. Oh, it's the, so. The heartbreakiest. I mean, 
Oh. Yeah, when Willow sees them and then turns and runs and Xander oh, yeah. goes out after her. Like, it's such a great, I mean, at first it's a little, she's like, I knew it, I knew it. I mean, not in the sense that I actually knew it was going on, but I knew it, you know. And they go through this whole thing and then it's so heartbreaking at the end when she's like, no, you would just rather be with somebody you hate than with me. And yes. that is such a heartbreaking moment. Oh, that is brutal. The, the We Hate Cordelia Club, of which you are the you treasurer. Are the tre- <laughs> I have I have so many follow-up questions. but right. <laughs> like, right. What did they sell to but, raise the money for him to, yeah. to manage in the treasury? But, like, what, oh, what was God, the bank sale Willow. for the We Hate Cordelia Club? Yeah. Oh, God, Willow. She's so, she is all of the feelings at once. Mm-hmm. Anger and hurt and betrayal and heartbreak and... Oh my, oh man, oh man, oh man. And then she comes back because this is more, what's going on is more important. Right. She's like, we are not okay. You have severe emotional problems. Severe emotional problems. Yeah. But this is more important. And that is Willow. Like that is, you know, I love the fact that she is honest and straightforward with him. She's not playing games. She's not trying to make him feel guilty. She's just telling him that she's disgusted by him. Yeah. And, um, but that there's other stuff that has to be done. And so for the, for the purpose of that, she will deal with him. But they are not okay. And I just, I really like the way that she handles that. And of course, comes back because she has like the most maturity out of anybody. Yeah, she really Mm -hmm. is the most. It's so funny. I was going to say she's the most adult of the Scoobies in a lot of ways. But she's also, they also play it completely the other direction where she's also the most childish when she's mm-hmm. she talks to Oz at the beginning of surprise, and oh, she walks God. away and says, "I said date." I said date. <laughs> Just... It was so sweet. I love and I love the way he asks her out. He's like, "Well, I gotta tell you, you know, I've been thinking about asking you out, and I'm a little nervous about it." She's like, "Well, if it makes you feel any better, I'm gonna say yes." And then he asks her out, and she's like, "Oh, I can't. Oh, I can't." <laughs> But I mean, like you went in another direction. Yeah. Way to go, Oz. That is that might be the best way to ask somebody out. No, that is absolutely the best way. That was excellent. That was, I mean, well done, Oz. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Because and then we have, you know, speaking of maturity and not, we have the immaturity of Xander and the maturity Uh of Oz. You know, Xander says to Willow, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't mean anything. His, right. mm-hmm. his kissing Cordelia without understanding that it is meaningful to her, that right. we're not we're not on the same page here, whereas Oz is all about getting on the same page with Willow. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is just. No, I he mean, absolutely is. Oh, my God. Willow, Willow and Oz in the van. Oh, that my God. Scene, I love that. That whole scene. I will even mm-hmm. forgive the Whedonese of Willow Kissage, which just I right no, makes me want to yeah, throw no, that's... something at my screen. But <laughs> I, I like I generally like Whedonese. Like oh. I generally appreciate it, but that one isn't so great. But you know, do you want to make out with me? And then he says no and she's he just says like what? So, and he It's so great. Oh my god. His what? She said, when she asked him, he goes, what? Like, <laughs> right? where it's did this so come from? Sweet. But then when he says, you know, to the casual observer, it would appear that you're trying to make your friend Xander jealous or even yeah. the score something. Mm-hmm. See, in my fantasy, when I'm kissing you, you're, you're kissing, kissing me. me. That is the best answer. That is 
so yeah. great. And this is the, so like, this is when you fall in love with Oz because Oz is so cool and he's so straightforward. You know, he does not play any games with her. He's like, yeah, I want to kiss you. But when you're, when I'm kissing you, you're kissing me. Yeah. And he's going to wait for that. And I love that. I love that he's not hurt or offended or you know playing pissy little games about you know well you're here with me but you're thinking about him like yeah. none of that he's not angry with her he's not upset with her he's like this is what i see and when that's not a problem anymore we'll, we'll revisit the topic yeah <laughs> which is just so great well and it's so wonderful because we see her reaction to his speech about yeah. wanting to kiss her and it's this slow it's like a light on a dimmer yeah. switch being raised mm-hmm. slowly like it's dawning on willow that this is what it feels like yeah. to be desired by somebody you know who is who is truly interested in you yes as mm-hmm. a person it's so great her her the realization and the delight at the realization mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. just my favorite Alison yeah. Hannigan, man. I mean, her acting skills over and over and over again. I yeah. will. I find that I'm I'm making notes about little expressions or gestures or things that she does mm-hmm. to show us this whole deep interior life of Willow's yeah. that we. I mean, it's it's truly remarkable. Yeah, it's no, so she's remarkable. incredible. She's and, incredible, and what we see from her throughout the run of this series is unbelievable. I mean, Sarah Michelle Gellar has this incredible ability to, um, to express like torment and heartbreak, you know, and when you're on a stage with Sarah Michelle Gellar, you would think pretty much any other actor would be completely sidelined by that. But Willow, Alison Hannigan is able to deliver that that same like emotional range and depth as well. And it is unbelievable. I love that moment when, you know, when Buffy's upset and Giles is like, well, I don't know, something must have happened last yeah. night that triggered this event. Buffy, what yeah. could it be? And Buffy runs out and he's trying to talk to her and, and Willow just goes, shut up, Giles. Yeah. Because she knows she... in that moment. And Allison Hannigan plays that so well. Yep. We see her figure it out and it's, Mm-hmm. wonderful of course she figures yeah. it out but we see it happen of course she does and we, we don't have to have it textually we yes! can see what's going on she delivers that so well it's so so great it also we also get it with uh jenny when yeah. <laughs> i love that scene where buffy comes to confront jenny and just slams oh, her down on the slams desk her down on the desk and then she cops to it right away. Giles is like, right. hey, not, you know, what what's going on? And yeah. she's like, no, no, it's all true. Um, but they're talking, Buffy and, and Jenny are talking, and it's all in the subtext. Yeah. They're not saying it, but Jenny knows yeah. and knows what happened. And they're just moving forward. And we've got Giles in the background, like, standing Figuring there. Figuring like, it out like slowly. Total yeah. dad. It's so great. Mm-hmm. I love dad mm-hmm. Giles. But <laughs> I love that Giles too. And when he figures it out, you know, and he's mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, and it finally like becomes clear. But I also love too that like, you know, Buffy attacks Jenny and he's like, now wait a minute. And then Jenny's like, no, I did this thing. And yeah. Giles is immediately like, ne- he's standing next to Buffy. He is absolutely on Buffy's side. You know, he loves Jenny. Yeah. And he is, he is in that moment just completely with Buffy. 
you know yeah, and I, then that later when jenny comes by and she wants to help after they get the arm mm-hmm. and giles is like get out you yeah know? um he is with buffy and i love that it's so much so great i love that mm-hmm. i love the moment from giles where it's revealed mm-hmm. you know buffy calls jenny on all of you know all of yes. this nonsense that's been going on giles is standing there in the background and he's on he's between them in the frame he's sort of more on buffy's side he does not take his eyes off jenny he just cannot believe what he's hearing Mm -hmm. and she's just rattling it off like it's no big deal because of course she understands how dire the situation is but Mm -hmm. oh man his that loss of innocence for him yeah, in the background, but it's palpable and it's huge. It's so um, good. Yeah, well, Anthony Stewart had, I mean, these actors, like people look at Buffy the Vampire Slayer and they're like, oh my God, whatever. But these actors are unbelievable. And what they do with this material is just incredible. It's really, it's really, really powerful. I feel like we need to talk about this turn for Jenny, though, because yes. does this, okay. <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> yes. I'm not sure Jenny's backstory was there all along. I mean, oh, that they've been planning this from the beginning. Yeah, yeah like I don't think so. did because did she just forget why she was there? I mean, I feel like just a few episodes ago, it was like Burning Man and naked mud dances and casting bones, and that's not where I dangle it, and that's not <laughs> like she's either very good at undercover work, or. <laughs> Sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, No, that's right. Or she wasn't undercover at first. I don't think that they, yeah, I don't think the writers knew. Um, In season one, I don't think they knew. In season two, I think that, like, you know, we played her, you know, she's just there. She's keeping an eye on things. Like, her job is just to keep an eye on things and report back, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, And so, like, I think that probably in season two, they had this all planned out and they knew, but they didn't give anything away. And I think that that's fine. Like, I think it's good. It's it's a nice moment when we see, you know, her uncle comes in to talk to her. And we realize, of course, before anybody else realizes what's going on with Jenny, we realize it, you know. Yeah. And um, and she's at first like, you know, he gives her the whole speech about you are not Jenny Calendar. You are Yana of the Romani people. And this yeah. is who you are. And understand your identity, girl, you know. Yeah. Um, and he gives that whole speech and everything. And it is um, and she cows to it. And then when she goes back after this has happened and she's like, what the fuck with the fine print, dude? You yeah. know? <laughs> um, and they have that whole discussion. And then she's like, you're an idiot. We're all idiots. You yeah. know, and she realizes what has happened because she didn't know that it was a possibility that Angel could lose his soul, you know, so she yeah. probably thought, well, I'm just keeping an eye on the guy, you know, I mean, Jenny's uncle patriarchy. Is he Jenny's uncle stereotype? I'm not sure. Um, He's a little bit of both. I I think think he could be more than one thing. Yeah. I think he might be a floppy hat douchebag. Yeah, maybe a little bit. A A little little bit. bit. I mean, well, he's got his whole thing about vengeance. Oh, God. Right? You know? Vengeance is a living thing that passes from generation to generation. I'm I'm not totally sure what he's talking about. It sounds like generational trauma. 
Yeah. But Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that it's it's, you know, we never forget, we never forgive, you know, by the time thro- after so many generations, you got a lot of grudges you got to hold for other people. Like yeah. I imagine that must be exhausting after a while. Um possibly they recite all the grudges at the family barbecue every, you know, July or whatever. <laughs> um so that everybody remembers all of them. They made it into a song. It's a mnemonic device so you can remember who the, who who oh were pissed God. at, right? The you know, Calderash family reunion and right i don't i don't understand though when he says it is not justice we serve it's vengeance and i'm like yeah i'm not totally a hundred percent on board with like why what is happening i mean first of all it's like the most patriarchal reasoning whatsoever because it's it's he destroyed this girl who was the most beloved daughter of her Mm -hmm. group and i'm like okay hold up wait a minute (laughs) we need to back up to where we have the like favorites within the group and what this means and there's a whole like right there's a whole like well maybe she was like the princess maybe she was one of the exalted members like you know the the big families or something like that but um but really like racial stereotypy to me i mean i don't oh well you know like i mean you know yeah nobody's nobody's being culturally sensitive in this particular moment i mean it's 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 all playing on stereotypes but i find this idea of the justice versus vengeance thing being really interesting you know because justice is about doing what you can to make things right right and there can't be justice for when somebody has been murdered, right? Because you can't bring them back. You can't make that right. There's nothing to be done. So the only thing left is vengeance. But vengeance is something that when you exact it, it takes a chunk out of you too, you know? I mean, if you do something for the sole purpose, you know, the only purpose of the thing that you're doing is to hurt, uh, you know, and devastate the person who hurt and devastated you, um, then that's something that's going to take, you know, part of your soul with it, you know? Yeah. Um, which is different from, you know, doing what you need to do to move on or whatever. And if that happens to hurt the person who did a bad thing, well, then so be it, you know. Right. Um, but but this is about exacting vengeance. And vengeance in itself is a thing that will end up that it has a splashback effect, you know, on the person delivering it. It feels like justice, but it's not justice. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just an interesting, I almost want to call it a, a, there's like a religious sort of feeling Mm -hmm. to what he, what he brings to Jenny about like what her role is here and how important this is to her people and who she is and identity. And I mean, really, I think what it is, is they didn't you know, they didn't want to get into all of that, but I'm just, I, I just find it fascinating. <laughs> no, it is. I think it's really interesting. I, I think it is. Um, and it's, um, it's, it's, I, I think it's a fun, not, not fun, obviously in the sense of fun, but like interesting, <laughs> yes. and fun in the sense of interesting, um, you know, kind of a dichotomy there between the idea of justice and vengeance and that they are not the same thing, you yeah. know, and that vengeance itself becomes destructive, that, that destruction, spews ever outward you know and there's a splashback like you know justice is something where you can you can try to make right what you can make right and then and then that's it you know yeah um there's but, an but end vengeance point. is yeah is 
destructive. Yeah. And vengeance has to be ongoing. There's no, mm-hmm. there's right. no, what's the end to it? End point. You know, right. justice can be served and then we can like close the, you know, mm-hmm. we can close yeah, that Yeah, and then down. that's the whole point of justice. Justice yeah. is about that closure, you know, making it right and moving on. Um, but but vengeance is is about, you know, the, getting the blood, getting the getting even, you know, and that doesn't help anybody. Um, so I like the way that Jenny responds to that. Of course, Jenny is. And I love this whole thing, too, because like, you know, in the Whedon verse, People get to be happy for approximately 12 minutes, you know, <laughs> Giles and Jenny after yeah. the whole thing that happened with, uh, with Ripper and, and all of yeah. that and the chaos and the Mark of Igon and whatever, um, <laughs> you know, after that, they finally got back together. They're happy. Everything's great. And now, you know, she is being taken away from him. And so Giles is in this situation where, you know, he's just been betrayed by the woman that he loves, you know? Yeah. Um, so this is, we don't get a lot of that. We're not seeing a lot of that, you know, like splashback in this episode we'll get to it later um but how heartbreaking that is for him and yet he doesn't hesitate you know he doesn't he doesn't say anything to her he doesn't he just says get yeah, out he just you know get like, out with and, his back and that's to her. It. he makes his choice his choice is buffy and that's it yeah you know um and and that is really it's hard because giles has so little aside from the library and he's hanging out with teenagers all the time, oh, which, God. you know, if you've ever hung out with teenagers all the time, dude, that's tough. That's a Giles, tough way to roll, you know? But Giles is so delightful in his role within this group, like his commitment, not yeah. just to Buffy, but his commitment to this mm-hmm. group. You know, when he talks about yeah. living on a Hellmouth, things are uncertain and Buffy's turning 17 and she's going to have a party. God damn it. Exactly. You know? like, I love that. And then when that. she gets to the party and she's like, what's going on? And he goes, surprise yeah. party. And then he blows the little noisemaker. <laughs> It is so adorable. And how touched she is. She's like, you did this for me. Yeah. You know? And then at the end, you know, we have this thing with Joyce. And I was talking last week about how Joyce was going to be terrible in this episode. She's not really terrible in this episode. She has that one moment after Buffy comes home, you know, when when Buffy is going upstairs and she says, wow, you look different. You know, because obviously... When she, a girl has sex, you can just tell by looking at her. She doesn't. It's interesting. She doesn't say she says, you look and then mm-hmm. she doesn't finish her sentence. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what? What does she look? What? Mm-hmm. It's you look like you've had sex. I can tell. Yeah. It, <laughs> like, I don't I don't like that. I don't like that scene. I do like the way it's resolved slash not resolved. At the very yes. end, mm-hmm. but at the very end, yeah, right. and, <laughs> I do love, I love Buffy's little like casual step up the stairs, like oh nothing, you know, no, nothing's yeah. happening, um, right? But, but this idea that that like you know, if a girl loses her virginity, you know, not for boys, boys they lose their virginity, no big deal, but a girl loses her virginity, and this this cultural idea that we have, which is what they're playing on, I don't think that's what they mean to say in the actual text of the episode, but it's this we always have that you look different. Yeah. You're entirely changed now. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's, it's, you know, having sex is an experience, but so, you know, so is having really good ice cream. Like, you know, I mean, honestly, <laughs> like it's, 
it's it doesn't make you look different but women there is this idea that like people can tell and when buffy backs away it's like this thing where 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 by the look that says i can tell that you've had sex you know which of course joyce textually cannot in that moment whatever it is she's about to say she doesn't put it all together she doesn't figure it out you know yeah um but when buffy backs up it's something that like i can feel that it's that hey you know, none of your damn business, <laughs> like, stay yeah. out of this, like, because it is so, in, like, intrusive, this idea that if you have sex, people will be able to see. Yeah. You know? And Buffy's little walk of shame is interesting, too. Um, and mm-hmm. I use that, mm-hmm. I use that phrase culturally, I don't believe in yes. walks of shame, mm-hmm. but it's played very much as a walk of shame, and I think yeah. it is because Angel is gone. This, this walk of shame is played uh, very much like like a walk of shame like Buffy's ashamed of what has happened and I think it's Angel's absence Mm -hmm. that kind of opens the door for that sense of shame to exist because when she when she backs away from Joyce on the stairs Mm -hmm. it's a it's a it's it's not so much a I don't want you to know this thing about me as it is a Mm -hmm. If I tell you, or if you know something, then I have to explain more than I'm really ready to explain. Right, right. Because she's, you know, in this very confused, kind of somewhat traumatic space right now because she doesn't know what happened to him. And I mean, at that point, I don't think, of course, she has any idea what has actually happened, but that, you know, he might be hurt. There's something wrong. She knows there's something wrong. Yeah. She knows there's something wrong. And she... I think intuits that it has something to do with her. Right. Because mm-hmm. why else would he leave? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. And then later when they're in, you know, his apartment, when he's angelus and he's pretending, you know, that he's still angel oh, and he's God. like, well, you think I'm going to hang around after that? And I mean, my God, that is devastating. When she says, was I not good? Oh God. Oh my God. It's so oh, awful. My God. And, so and his response, you were great. I thought you were a pro. Is so oh, God. oh my God. He is so just awful and it's gut wrenching. And I feel like a traitor to feminism and all of womankind because I'm Drusilla in that moment. I'm like, do it again. Do it again. Because he's he cuts right to the bone. Oh, and it's just Ah, it's it. There is something delightful about seeing him be so evil so well, mm-hmm. and I'm yeah. I'm not proud of it, but I I kind of right. love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! All right, so. In this episode of uh, of Buffy, Surprise and Innocence, uh, Noelle, what are you wearing? Oh, my God. What <laughs> the fuck is Willow's purple hat? I mean. I know. I always love Willow's hats. This is the only time where I'm like, okay, that's not good. I have no moral high ground because I had some truly <laughs> awful hats in the late 90s. Well, we all have. Yes. But <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Come on. And she's so adorable. And she has that interaction with Oz. And I'm just distracted by the I was distracted by it, too. It was not a good hat. hat. She's going to have some wonderful hats as we go through, I think, this season and next. But that was not one of them. That was not good. Um, 
But we get, I mean, surprising no one, we get lots yeah. and lots and lots of white clothing. Sure we do. On Buffy. Mm-hmm. Until we don't. Until we I'm don't. I'm like, wow, yeah. that's really, that's super, super subtle, guys. Nice work. But, right. you know, we have to, we have to highlight her innocence and then loss of same. Um Right. Well, I mean, the thing is, like, she comes back and she changes into, like, a white um, shirt after, you know, she's looking for Angel the next day. Mm-hmm. So it's after she's had sex. But it isn't quite white. It's off-white. Yeah. Yeah. Slightly dinged, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then she's wearing, like, a little black shrug over the top. Yeah. But by the time she goes to confront Jenny, she's mm-hmm. in. she's wearing a black top she's and she Mm -hmm. is all business when she marches into that school i mean like during class in her little flimsy tank top it's there's something slams jenny on the desk i mean my god there's something so so great about that um Mm -hmm. so while we have buffy wearing all the white we have drusilla wearing all the red and oh man uh, drusilla everything drusilla wears is wonderful. Oh, God. Full stop. Yeah. No, it's fantastic. But in these episodes, everything Drusilla wears is especially wonderful. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of the, like, she wears this, like, brocade corset mm-hmm. top thing. And then her shoes, because we're going to see them in close up when she crushes that poor vampire's glasses. Right. We're going to see her shoes in close up. So we have to have red like a crushed velvet red shoe as well and i i love i love the attention to detail and i love her dancing in all of her party finery i mean she's ready Mm -hmm. to she's ready to vamp it up in more ways than one (laughs) more ways than Um, one yeah no she's this is such a like you talk a lot about fiction being how it feels, not how it actually is. Right. I, we have a great, we have a wonderful costuming representation of that. When Angel yeah. wakes up next to Buffy and there's thunder mm-hmm. crashing outside and he's obviously in pain, he is mostly, if not all, naked. And then he stumbles mm-hmm. outside into the alley to collapse on the ground and he is wearing mm-hmm. a button front <laughs> shirt pants socks <laughs> shoes and a coat he's he wakes up doubled over in pain yeah. and is like oh hang on gotta get right. you grabs know, like, all of his right, <laughs> grabs his overnight bag because, right you know you gotta have it ready to go yeah you know? yeah he grabs his go bag and he like yeah i just and i know that this is about this is about how it feels that we we need a visual mm-hmm. representation because then when he hops up as yeah. Angelus, he can't be naked because that's no. not mm-hmm. the core of the angel that we know. Right. He has mm-hmm. to be in full villain regalia yeah. so that he is not vulnerable in that moment. If he were outside, I mean, mm-hmm. as much as as much as we all want to see angel outside naked in the rain. Right. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, you know, that that doesn't. That doesn't jibe with the emotional resonance of that moment mm-hmm. and that change. So yeah. mm-hmm. while it is totally ridiculous and unrealistic that he would wake up in excruciating soul-losing pain 
put on right. all his clothes only to go outside in the rain. Right. I'm giving it I'm giving it the the pass of symbolism and metaphor and whatever what yes. have you. Um and I have to give I have to give a shout out to whatever it was probably a production assistant who was in charge of continuity at the very mm-hmm. end when Angel and Drew do their amazing slow motion dive away from right. the judge. <laughs> Mm-hmm. We see Angel land on the on the floor, and his hand in the foreground has the clutter ring on it, and it's yeah. the heart is facing out. Somebody oh, flipped God. that ring around. He no longer yeah. belongs to Buffy in that Buffy. romantic. Mm-hmm. We are yeah. wedded at the docks kind of way, and I just that's a good detail, teeny mm-hmm. tiny little detail. You blink and you miss it, but. Shout out yeah, to whoever whoever made that choice because yeah, good work, really good work. No, it's a good it's a good move because of course that's the first thing he would do is turn it around. Yeah, yeah, and of course you the know? first thing Buffy does when she goes to confront him oh. is put on the crucifix necklace that he gave her. I know to go fight oh him. God. It's so <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah, we're really no, it is. Yep, really, really just bringing out all of the wonderful costume elements for this yeah this pair yeah, of episodes really, except really for that job. goddamn purple hat what the hell i know the purple hat we're just gonna have to <laughs> let it go we're just gonna have to let it go all right so what do you have for arg the patriarchy oh my god oh dear lord <laughs> so once again we get some we get some truly awful xander in a mm-hmm. joss whedon penned episode is it penned yeah. when it's tv mm-hmm. um Oh, Xander's Xander's fantasy about the future. You know, Buffy is a waitress at Denny's by day and a vampire slayer by night. And he ends with his he ends his fantasy about swooping in with his private jet and taking her out for prime rib with and she cries. Yes. And right. she cries, and he's laughing with delight as and he, he says this. Loves it, yeah. I mm-hmm. just the the grossness of that is mm-hmm. just beyond. I mean, it's one yeah. thing. It's one thing to want someone who does not want you back. It's yeah. another mm-hmm. thing to wish ill upon that person. I mean, to the point that right. that you would delight in her distress or else her gratitude are the tears of like it's her gratitude i think is what it is he wants to be the prince that comes in and saves her but in order for him to be able to save her she needs to have a terrible life and that's what he wants because her misery means that he gets to be the rescuer it's so yeah it's pretty shitty. It's just the grossest. I mean, we call him on a little bit of his grossness when Willow is on the phone trying to comfort Buffy, you know, about mm-hmm. Angel disappearing. Yes. Well, he's got a plan. Well, I don't know what it is. It's not. It's his plan, not my right. plan, which mm-hmm. is just so dear. And Xander goes, say hi for me. Right. And Willow then does, you know, when she, she hangs up, she glares at Xander and says, say hi for me. So we, right. we because obviously Buffy's distressed and upset and worried about Angel and he doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. He hopes that something has happened to Angel. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's what he wants. Yeah. And if she's miserable and upset over Angel, then that's good for him. So he wants to make sure that she knows he's there waiting for her. Yeah, and it's it's ugly in a way that it wasn't mm-hmm. when uh, Xander was explaining Angel's relationship to the group to Kendra. When he says, yeah. he's our friend, except I don't like him. I, right. like that, I felt like there was some... There was some sweetness and some self-awareness there, whereas this Sander is just mean. Is really, really gross. And then there's that moment with Cordelia where he's talking about his plan to go, you know, steal the rocket Uh launcher. And he's like, I need you. I'll just show up at my house and wear something trashy. Er. Right. You know, and did you see what she was wearing in that moment? She was wearing a fucking twin set. Yeah. There is nothing in the world less trashy than a twin set. So like that whole thing gets completely shut down. And I don't know what it is because we get this joke with Cordelia a lot where they talk about her being trashy and her being slutty and all this. And like it is. Yeah. She looks like a young Republican of America kind of. She does. You know, she does. Like it's very, you know, she dresses like that. It's it's very conservative, even with yeah. the shortness of her skirts. And it just occurred to me to wonder if some of that labeling of Cordelia as slutty or trashy has to do with her her body type more than how she dresses. Um, I think it's her body type and the fact that she is sexually in charge of herself. Oh, for sure. You know, for like sure. she, you know, we've had her making out with guys in cars. We had the the thing about, oh, if you're having sex in a Miata, you hit the parking <laughs> brake and you're on a hill, like all that asking for a friend, right? Yeah. Um, so we have all that stuff with her, but like it's it's basically the only thing about her that would would lend to this idea is the fact that she is in charge of her sexuality. And so because she is a woman who is in charge of her sexuality and we cannot have that, we have to slut shame her and so in that moment but like it it would have bugged me no matter what if he had said that to her you know like I don't care what she's wearing if he had said that to her but the fact that he says that to her when she is wearing I mean there's she's got two sweaters on for Christ's sake (laughs) one is up to her chin and the other one is tied around a little preppy shoulder thing like there is nothing about the way that she's dressed that that you know says trashy there is nothing about that but so I don't know I found that really really annoying and then when Xander was was coming in talking about you know I feel a pre-birthday spanking coming oh, on and then God. Jenny goes I'd curb that impulse if I were you Xander so Jenny calls him on mm-hmm. it but it's just one of these things where it's like oh God Xander could you please just stop yeah I was really uncomfortable in that moment I mean yeah. even even with Jenny saying something I'm like oh oh no no yeah not good yeah like shut up Xander it's not yeah. okay um all right so did you have a girl power moment of the week I love I, I don't love that I love this, but I love the kick to the balls. I oh, I do too. Love it. I love and it. And especially because that is not like she got him. Like she <laughs> she practically backed up and ran at him yep. and got him really, really good. And it was it was nice because it was in that moment where he was mocking her for not being able to kill him. She kicks him in the balls, delivers that so hard, and then turns around and says, give me time. Yeah. And oh my god, I love that. Yeah, it's such a great coda to this relationship. That and he's yeah. he's taunting her that entire fight about the the physical 
nature yeah. of their relationship. He's mm-hmm. he is making just horrible remarks. So the fact yeah. that she kicks him in the crotch is right. Really, it's fitting. It's it's poetic. Mm-hmm. It's fitting. Mm-hmm. It absolutely. Is. Yes. All right. So, what's your favorite moment? Oh this my week? god, there are so many, um, and mm-hmm. I'm just I'm resisting the temptation to say all of Oz because that just feels right. totally unfair. Um, and also, that's that's going to be the favorite part, like the de facto favorite part for a while. Right. Like if <laughs> Oz is there, I'm pretty sure my yeah. favorite part is Oz. Um, right. Mm-hmm. So if I if I just take if I take the Oz, you know, is the most wonderful male presence on Buffy with the mm-hmm. maybe maybe tied with Giles. If I just if I just take take Oz off the table for a second. Right. Um, <laughs> it's not it's not a moment that I could point to exactly. But the way that both Willow and Jenny understand what happened yeah. right away with yeah. no explanation required from mm-hmm. Buffy. They don't, you know, they yeah. just, because they really see her and they they mm-hmm. can see that she's hurting and they instantly pick up yeah. on why she's hurting because they know how important this relationship with Angel is to her. Mm-hmm. That, and there's something... There's something there about, um, I don't know, spending time with someone and just knowing so easily what is going on in their life because their life matters to you. I mean, and I think that's truer for Willow than it is for Jenny. I think with Jenny, it's much more about the maturity of being an adult and knowing. And having that experience yeah like, you know yeah you know yeah knowing mm-hmm. and remembering presumably what it was like to be sure. a 17 year old girl mm-hmm. I feel like that's yeah. a huge part of it too like when when Giles says uh I can only imagine what she's going through and Willow says no I no, really can't. don't think you can mm-hmm. that there's something it's not it's not just heartbreak it's this heartbreak that is unique to this kind of teenage girl experience Mm -hmm. um and there's just there's something really there's something really beautiful about that deep connection i think among those three female characters yeah yeah no i liked that i like that a lot um my favorite part of course is giles at the end oh god when he's driving buffy home and he gives her that speech and I mean, she says, you must be so disappointed in me. And he's like, if guilt is what you want, I'm not your man. Yeah. You know, and he is so good in that moment and so loving and kind. And the fact that he doesn't judge her at all, I think is so wonderful. And honestly, that is one of the most touching moments for me and the whole run of Buffy. And there's so many oh, yeah. wonderful moments. There's so many wonderful moments with Giles. But this is, this is him just loving her. And being there for her and, you know, and showing undying support, which I think is so wonderful. And I just, I love that. It makes me cry every time. That unconditional love and that acknowledgement of the reality of the situation that, Mm -hmm. you know, he says, do you you want me to tell you you acted rashly? You did, but Mm -hmm. you loved him and he showed, you know, he showed that he loved you too. Like he, it's. Yeah. He says the perfect thing. Like he is the perfect parent in that moment. Yeah. And it's so, so heartbreaking then when she goes 
inside and she's got her little we have our little birthday coda with Joyce and Joyce is just not she's not that parent yeah yeah I mean Giles threw her a whole surprise party and Joyce couldn't even get cake I know she's like I'm sorry I didn't have time to make you cake and she's got the cupcakes and everything and she's got the candle yeah you know but it's got but that scene too I think is so it is really it is really good you know, I mean, I love Buffy. I just got older. And then when she's looking at the candle, she says, I'll just let it burn. Mm-hmm. And Joyce just snuggles her up. You know, I mean, it is really a sweet moment. Yeah. But it's no, it's nowhere near as good as Giles. It's true. Well, and it's a nice, it's, again, a nice reflection of the not quite coming out narrative that we sort of teased yeah. a little bit in Bad Eggs, where mm-hmm. Buffy could tell her mother what was on her mind but then but if if she tells her anything she has to tell her yeah. everything right and, and it's too much it's too much she can't do it mm-hmm. but she has this this parental figure in Giles mm-hmm. who knows everything that has happened and everything that will happen and he acknowledges for her that it's going to be difficult moving forward yeah. mm-hmm. oh that just it it's so, so poignant and heartbreaking, and I, I love it. That's it for today. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow Lonnie at LonnieDionRich and me at NoelleAloud, and use the hashtag StillPretty. You can also visit the Chipperish forums. Go to chipperish.com, click on forum, and join in the fun. Or you can keep Chipperish Media going to the tune of a dollar a month or more and gain access to the live chat in Discord, where you can hang out with me and Noelle and all the Chipperish patrons who can't spend the rest of their lives waiting for Xander to wake up and smell the hottie. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support by giving Still Pretty a great review on Apple Podcasts or by telling your friends about the show, or by giving all the stars the same name and creating terrible confusion. (laughs) We'll be back next time with Phases, the 15th episode of Season 2. Until then, hey, did everybody just see that guy turn to dust?